0: Joan Crawford is a source of absolute fascination to thousands of fans around the world, even decades after her death in 1977. But why? There are so many golden age of Hollywood stars, yet unlike some of the others, Joan's legend continues to shine and undergo bold resurrections through modern pop culture classics such as the film Mummy Dearest and more recently the TV series Feud. Now, I've never spoken to my next guest, but I have a huge admiration for Brian Johnson. He's a super Joan Crawford fan who should absolutely be described as a historian and a specialist archivist. His website, his YouTube channel, the concluding chapter of Crawford, they are so satisfying, well-organized collections of information. They are more than typical fan sites. They are simply brilliantly put together and filled to the brim with primary and secondary sources. G'day, Brian. It's a pleasure hi, to meet you.
1: Hi, thank
0: you for having me. Why Joan Crawford, Brian? You could be celebrating Greta Garbo, Loretta Young, uh, Betty Davis, Mae West, even Marlena Dietrich, but you've chosen to dedicate, in, in a sense, your life and all your attention to Joan. Why her?
1: Why Joan Crawford? Uh, because it's Joan Crawford, so, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, fans will understand that, and she transcends so many different worlds. She transcends the world of poverty. She transcends the world of the South. She transcends the world of entertainment. She transcends the world of business. She transcends the world of wealth. She is all over the map in every area. And I think because of that, she has a, there's a deep way of really identifying with Joan Crawford from people from all walks of life.
0: I also think part of that success, the ongoing success, is actually partly due to you, too. You keep her spirit alive, and you should be really proud of that, Brian. I've got to say, a couple of years ago, I hadn't even heard of Joan Crawford, possibly to my shame. But trawling through her life since I have come to know her, and trawling through the times that she led, it's led me to conclude, Joan was an exceptionally tortured soul. I believe she had actually a very complex identity disorder. Is it fair to say that Joan saw herself very genuinely as the person that she so beautifully crafted, Joan the movie star?
1: I don't know if she actually saw herself in that way. I will tell you that I do agree to an extent that she was a tortured soul. I think that started uh, with her from birth. I think that was part of who she was by birth, and I think some people are just simply like that from birth. Um, she was always a restless soul. I would say probably more of a restless soul than a tortured soul. Um, she was also a chameleon. Uh, if you go through her life from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, this looks like an assortment of different women. And it's because she had this amazing ability to change herself constantly and to grow. And uh, I don't know if she was ever really, truly satisfied in her life. I think because she was constantly evolving that it, it kind of kept a little bit of an emptiness there for her. But I do believe that Joan knew very well who she was. There's this conception that's out there, and it's also been perpetrated in a few of the um, shows like Feud that she didn't know who she was and, and so on and so forth. After the research I've done, the dozens upon dozens of people I've talked with who knew her, I feel that Joan Crawford was very solid in her mind as to who she truly was. As to what she wanted to be, I don't think she ever achieved.
0: Do you believe she was a lonely person, though, regardless of if she did or didn't know who she was? I mean, I, I look at the relationships, for example, Brian, and I look at there was a, there's a sense of loneliness even in all the relationships. I'm talking adopted children, I'm talking marriages, I'm talking friends, in inverted commas, and she also had compulsions, which would feed into that idea that she was constantly on, in inverted commas, she was constantly creating a facade about who she wanted people to believe she was. Was she lonely?
1: I believe that, yes, she was a lonely person. I believe that she was a lonely person by nature. Um, And this kind of goes back into my my opinion of her being a restless soul by nature. I think that people who are restless by nature are lonely by nature because they are never really satisfied. There are, there's always something missing, and that emptiness is essentially a loneliness that is there hanging over them, and they really don't know what to use in order to feel that. Joan did use many aspects of life in order to fill that void that I believe she had simply from birth. Uh, As a child, she was something of a lonely child. One thing through my research I'm working on is the myth, it, it is a myth, that she had a childhood of poverty. Her childhood was not in poverty. Actually, her childhood would have been above average up until about age 11. It was her preteen and teenage years that was more into uh, poverty. But even as a child, uh, having an above average household of, of income from her stepfather, Henry Casson, she still had a loneliness about her with other children. There was something of a disconnect with people there. And I think that it comes from a restlessness.
0: Didn't she – is it true that she had an affair with her stepfather or an affair? Is it true she was abused or had a relationship, a sexual relationship with her stepfather?
1: I don't believe that's true whatsoever. And the uh, basis for that, it was, of course, shown in Feud. Uh, There was an entire scene of her describing this. That comes directly from one source, one singular source, and it's uh, a book that was published in 2002, John Crawford, The Essential Biography. And the uh, author of that book, Lawrence Cork, he did know Joan, but he did not know her well. And in the book, there is a passage whereby he claims that Joan told him this. I reject that. I do not believe Joan ever told him that she had an affair uh, or any kind of relationship with her stepfather, especially at, at age 11. Um, mr cork who wrote that book he was categorically broke throughout his life he became uh, a journalist really from his family his uncle uh, was involved with Photoplay magazine which is what gave him a leg up into that world john was very much aware of this one thing that mr cork does not put in his book which is very true is that he was usually needing money from Joan. he would ask money to borrow money from john he does not put this in his book however i was told this by multiple sources of people who knew Joan in the 70s. So you have this man who is a journalist who does get some things sometimes published in national magazines when he's lucky. I don't believe Joan, as savvy as she was, would have told this man such a thing that he could have simply sold to a tabloid. She was too smart, too too guarded of a person to do such a thing. So it could be that Cork is simply lying in his book. I don't wanna say someone's flat out lying in their book, or maybe he's just simply misremembering it. I don't believe there's any evidence of that, and it comes from one singular source.
0: And this is why I say, Brian, that you are more than just a fan. You are a historian. You've basically just put an argument forward that relies on sources of information, and you're sort of discrediting that particular source. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Brian, a year after Joan's death, her adopted daughter, Christina, published a memoir, Mummy Dearest. Now, I know the book is infamous for its depiction of, you know, child abuse, the immortal line, no wire hangers. Knowing Joan in the way that you do, given the immense lifelong work she put into cultivating her image, I'm curious to know, how devastated would Joan have been to know that the world was given such a raw, unadulterated glimpse into her private world?
1: I think the book published in 78 would have probably been been very devastating for her beyond devastation
0: um, she but, knew it was being
1: written didn't she
0: a bigger part she knew that it was in the works didn't she before she died absolutely not
1: absolutely not that is again that is another rumor a myth wow. that is that is perpetrated and i can tell you briefly where that became perpetrated from. Uh, Charlotte Chandler, another biographer, and that's one thing I want to throw out there. The the biggest myths about John Crawford, unfortunately, have been published by these biographers who aren't doing their research. So (laughs) all of these things are in publications, and everyone reads them and believes them, but there's no basis for them, and there's a huge amount of information to actually discredit it, and it does take a lot of time to do this. It's took me 20 years to, to achieve this much. I would not put it past the argument that maybe Christina was planning to do a book or had thought about it, but the idea that Joan knew about the book is absolutely 100% false. I've talked to several people who were close to Joan all the way up to the last point of her life, to the last days and they knew nothing of any book. Joan never mentioned this to any of them. She also never mentioned it to her assistant, Betty Barker. I have a 30-page interview unpublished with Betty Barker from 1979, whereby she's asked, why did Joan disinherit her children? Why did Christina write Mommy Dears? She says she doesn't know. Also, Joan's attorney, who was also the executive of her estate, who I've interviewed and talked with, He was never told anything about a book. So I just want to make that clear as possible that, no, there was no proof that Joan knew about a book. I do believe the book was a direct result of the disinheritance in the will. That is where the book, the origin of doing the book came from was the disinheritance.
0: And it is. It's reasonable to assume that if Joan was to have known about the book before her death, you and I both agree that there would have been, it would have been quite a devastating thing. So you would expect that she would have shared that in conversations with people before she passed away. Going back yeah. to the book, how, how truthful was it, in your opinion?
1: <laughs> um, in my opinion? Well, I've done a lot of <laughs> research into the book. Um, I've, I know Christina. I talk with her regularly. Um, so, you know, I don't talk with her about her book, though. I don't talk with her about Joan. I leave that to the side. But in any case, um, in my opinion, there are, there are many things in the book that are questionable based upon the firsthand sources I have obtained. For instance, there was a lady. Her name was Billy Green. She was an assistant to Joan in the early 50s. This was the lady who allegedly pulled Joan off of Christina when Joan was strangling her. Okay, Billy Green, no one ever knew about. In Mommy Dearest, the first edition, when you read it, it simply refers to her as the new secretary. In the subsequent anniversary editions, there's now been three, a 20th, 30th, and 40th anniversary edition that Christina has done. She now names this woman, and that's because William Morrow, who published the book, cut out a lot of, her original manuscript so in her anniversary edition she's added this information back in including the names of these people well she names the secretary by name billy well unbeknownst to many people there is an interview which i've obtained of billy green and it was conducted in 1981 and she read mommy dear she also read the script and she categorically denied that this ever happened. She was present when this happened. And she says Joan did not strangle Christina. They did get into an argument. They did get into a little bit of a back and forth, heated exchange where Joan smacked her. But that Joan never strangled her. She never had to pull Joan off of Christina. So you have Is it possible she's just protecting Joan's legacy? Well, that is a possibility. However, here's the interesting aspect of that. Billy Green had no reason to do so because Billy Green left Joan's employment after getting mad with her. She she says that she wasn't always the easiest boss. She was a little bit too demanding. And she ultimately left working with Joan because Joan got mad at her for stealing her Variety newspaper. When, uh, green was an, was an actor. Yeah. Well, green was an actress. She would get, Joan had variety. It's still published today. People in entertainment read it. Um, always, you know, mailed to her house. Well, green would take it and read it and look in auditions and things and Joan couldn't get it. So she got tired of it and left Joan's service. She didn't have any real reason to be in favor of Joan or, or against Christina. And this, unfortunately, was an interview by Green. It was never published. I was able to obtain this raw interview. It was never uh, published. So a lot of this stuff, when it should have came out following the book's publication, it was silenced. It just never was published. So no one ever knew these things. And this is just one example. There's many other examples. but uh, yeah.
0: Well, so, one of the examples I'd love to ask you about, though, is no wire hangers. I have to. I have to ask. People would be angry if I didn't ask you. Any truth to to her um, famous comment, no wire hangers?
1: Well, I don't have anything to say that that certain... Situation did not occur. However, one big discrepancy, which I would like to mention, because most people know Mommy Dearest by the film, not by the book. And it, honestly, it, my advice to anyone if you're going to watch the film, read the book. Read the book because it will give you better insight than the film. The film is not authorized by Christina Crawford. She actually hated the film. And in the book, Christina does not say that Joan ever beats her with a wire hanger. That it was an invention for the film. That was put into the film. In the book, uh, Joan, according to Christina, came into the closet, pulled a wire hanger out, and did scream about it and spanked her. And But she did not beat her with a hanger. However, that is the image of Joan Crawford that is now on the general population, is her beating a child with a hanger. It was never even claimed by Christina Crawford. So I do want to mention that. I will say that I don't think Joan was the best parent. I don't think she was really cut out to be a parent. I don't think she fully understood the relationship of a parent and a child. I don't think that she fully understood the capabilities, the the realistic capabilities of a child. She looked upon children just as if they were adults, I believe. I think she looked upon them thinking they should be able to do everything I do. And that's not true. And children also need more of a maternal sense. And I think the biggest fault with Joan is that she was not maternal enough with her children. I think this, in turn, caused a lot of resentment with Christina. And it's that is understandable. That happens. Um, but I do also think Joan was doing the best she knew how to do. I don't think she was a cruel person. I don't think she was a evil person. Nothing that. Like
0: There are quite a number of depictions of Joan Crawford in popular culture. One of the most recent, as you've already mentioned, is in Feud, where she was played brilliantly, in my opinion, by Jessica Lange. I believe I even saw one of the Feud stars reference you, Brian, in an interview. They said that they'd relied on your archive to research for the role. Uh,
1: It was probably Jackie Hoffman that played uh, Mama Sita. She is a sweet lady. I've met her a few times. She actually asked to talk with me when I was in New York several years ago, and she was uh, performing on Broadway. So she always since then has, I think she's the only main cast member who does mention my website, because a lot of information for that series was taken from my website. It was taken from a lot of of resources, uh, all uncredited and no one asked. I do wish that FX or Ryan Murphy would have reached out to me when they were devising the series. I could have probably helped them to have made it a little bit better and a little bit more factual. I probably could have also helped them to avoid the lawsuit with Olivia de Havilland because I knew that (laughs) when they put in that information about Olivia de Havilland saying these things about her sister, when I watched it on television the very first time, I knew instantly there would be a lawsuit by Olivia de Havilland. And there was. So... (laughs)
0: Wow, but it was fun though. That series was really fun. How accurate was it in the main? I know that someone like you would easily be able to pull out examples where it was inaccurate, but generally, was it was it a fair depiction of of Joan and and in particular the feud that she did have with Betty Davis?
1: I would as far as fairness, I would say it is eh, moderately fair in the sense of how they may have felt about one another as far as accuracy in um, what is depicted, I would say it's probably more around the 20% range of actual wow. accuracy. Yeah. Wow. There's a, that a, is a
0: low rate.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, and there's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, you cannot blame FX and, and Ryan Murphy and, and his company entirely for it because one large source for that, which they – admitted uh, in court with the de Havilland case was uh, the book, The Divine Feud. And I knew the author of that book. And as a matter of fact, when he passed away uh, uh, back in 2014, I was left the research that he used for that book. And he admitted to me that a, uh, a lot of the information in his book was was not verifiable that he used a lot of rumored information and a lot of this was done at the behest of his publisher they wanted a juicy book so there's a, a juicy book Yeah, yeah. That's what sells. So uh, that's what he did for them. Can I ask
0: you this, Brian? One of the sources that I saw, um, which funnily enough didn't make it into the series feud, but I've seen a letter, and I'd love to know from you if it was fake or not, a letter because Joan was a prolific letter writer, as we all know. I saw a letter from Joan that said uh, it was written to Baby Jane's director, um, Bob, I think it was, Complaining about Betty Davis's body odor and asking him to do something about that.
1: Yeah, I know the letter you're speaking of, and the reason I know that letter is because I made that letter. Um, oh it is, no! It is not real. And <laughs> let me explain this because I did get well. I did get a little bit of heat from this, and I in in uh, hindsight I regret having done this. But the the, the letter was made as a satire. It was made for Crawford fans because Crawford fans know that this would not be something Joan would say. And it was done as a joke. It was actually a series of letters. It was, that was not the only one. However, here's what happened with that letter. Carrie Fisher, the late Carrie Fisher, yep. got a hold of that. I don't know who sent that to her online, you know, how people do things. But she got a hold of it. She put it on her Twitter account. So it went global. It went viral and went everywhere.
0: When you were watching Feud, what stood out to you as, like, the most jaw-droppingly inaccurate moment for you?
1: Um, I would say the most – there's many – but I would say the most inaccurate that is unfortunately now perceived as truth is the entire business about the 1963 Academy Awards. Uh, they constructed an entire oh, – come
0: on. Don't tell me that's not true, Brian. You can't take this no. away from me. That's true, well, isn't it? It's, come it's, on.
1: It's, well – you know I'll say this I cannot say that it is it, it is not true but I can say this um, a lot of people who believe that um, Joan swayed the vote away from Betty Davis they need to have a better understanding of how the Academy votes and what that process actually is what was depicted on feud is is pretty much impossible no one since that time has ever ever came forth, ever published in an autobiography. It's never been cited by even a child of a celebrity that Joan ever tried to sway a vote away from Betty Davis. And I would think that that would have appeared at some point in in this many years. It never has. Uh, Joan saw an opportunity and she took it. And that's in regard to her accepting the Academy Award on behalf of Anne Bancroft in order to, kind of slight Betty and that I would agree with. I think that she could have turned that, that down. She could have, there could have been someone else to have accepted that award. I, I do think that was maybe a, a pity um, or uh, pitiful type of display by Joan to upstage Betty in that regard. However, Joan did not know that Anne Bancroft would win and that was really all by chance. But, uh, there's a lot of things that's not told about that. Betty had really burned a lot of her own bridges in Hollywood by that point. <laughs> she knew she wasn't going to win as much as she said So there's she... a
0: greater context to it, understood. Yeah. Uh, but there is truth, isn't there, that she kept that Oscar for about a year and wrote to Anne Bancroft saying, i are going to be in every ocean around the world before you get your hands on it. That's,
1: that's, what, true, Betty, it? that's what Betty said. No, as a matter of fact, uh, and I, I will say this, while I, I'm here with you, Um, if uh, this, for proof of this, no, she did not keep it that long. The, uh, you can go on my website, the Chronicle 1963 Chronicle, and, and it's all there. Uh, April 8th was the night of that Academy Awards ceremony. Okay. Uh, and then on May 7th, 1963, one month later is when John presented Anne Bancroft with the Academy Award. There's photographs of this, everything.
0: Well, you certainly paint a compelling argument, although I have to say you've busted so much of what I... It was such a delicious series. It's so disappointing to hear. So much of it is wildly inaccurate. There is a rumour which didn't make it into feud around uh, Joan's sexuality. Uh, was she gay? Was she bisexual? Did she have an affair with Mama Sita?
1: <laughs> no, she didn't have an affair with Mama Sita. She didn't. You know, as far as Joan's sexuality goes... I can't comment on that because there's there's really no proof either way. Um, there's never been any proof. Now, if you look into this... It- through simply a Google search, you will find that there is the rumor that Joan had uh, a fling with Marilyn Monroe. This is all unverifiable, by the way. Uh, when people look into this, that's the, you'll if you go into uh, classic movie groups and look, they may talk about it here and there every so often, but um, that is based upon hearsay. It's not based upon anything, uh, and it's and the origin of that supposedly comes from where Marilyn Monroe told her analyst or psychologist about this, uh, uh, night that she and Joan were together, but there's nothing to base any of this stuff on. Now, if Joan was bisexual, perhaps she was, who knows? Um, I think that there was probably a lot of things Joan would have done early in her life, but I will say that, um, looking at her life and her involvement with men, Joan was very, very interested in men because, uh, she always, usually went for the the best man she could find and uh she ran through them pretty quick so
0: <laughs> yeah but that could also feed into that that conversation we had at the beginning where she everything was facade and image was so important to her but yeah Absolutely. i take your point there's no there's really no evidence either way can you talk us through her final years Joan's
1: final years are is also a misconception i believe in the public eye um that is one Reason why my website, when I started it in 2002, I wanted to start it because I had the perception also, John, that her last 20 years of her life were really lonely and she didn't do anything and she just had an empty life. And that came from the biographies, uh, reading them. But when I started researching her, I found that she had actually an amazing last 20 years of her life. She was more active in the 1960s than she was in any other time of her life. Now, her film career was had slowed drastically, but her as a person, she was on the go constantly. She was traveling all over the world for Pepsi. She was experiencing all these different things. She was meeting all these different people. She loved all of this. And um, the Chronicle on my website, You know anyone that's interested in actually learning about this part of her life the chronicle goes year to year day by day you can click a year and look at whatever given day and find what she was doing it's it's massive when you look at it it's massive but uh in any case she worked for pepsi throughout the 60s uh by 1973 they did let her go as a board member however she was never officially removed from as being an employee of Pepsi Cola. That's a misconception. Technically at the time of her death, she was still employed by Pepsi Cola, but they had uh, dismissed her as being a spokesperson for the company and being on the board. Um, In the last few years of her life, she did settle down. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, she needed to maintain that John Crawford image like we discussed earlier. And with Pepsi letting her go, as a spokesperson, she was not getting the salary that she was getting from them prior. She was not getting an allowance for her travel, for her clothes, for her hair, for all of these things. So she had to downsize her life. Well, in doing that, she could not really afford, in my opinion, to go out and be John Crawford quite as much. And I think this contributed to her kind of closing down a little bit. But also, I think by 1974, she was ready for a rest. I think that she was very content with herself by this time of her life. Um, I interviewed her doctor that she had, and he last treated her in 1975. And that's when she told him she was converting to Christian science. Now, uh, she developed what I believe is pancreatic cancer. That's pretty much the consensus. I have consultant medical uh, doctors about this. I have read into it um, to find out if that's what type of cancer she most likely would have had given her symptoms. And it is pancreatic cancer. That is the most likely cancer that she had, even though her cause of death is listed as a heart attack. She did in fact have cancer. And a lot of people look at her life as being very tragic at the end because she died seeming A lot of people think it's seemingly alone. She wasn't alone. At the last part of her life, she had an amazing support system. She had her Christian science practitioner, um, Mark Campbell was the lady's name. I have an interview with her. It's never been published from right after Joan's death. It goes into talking about Joan's final days and and final years. A lot of information that's not out there, which I'm going to put out there. Um, But joan had a very good support system she had people around her who cared greatly about her however joan did not want to go into a hospital and die hooked to machines and in a very cold isolated environment that a hospital can be she had decided to be in her own home to be comfortable and live out her final days the best she could and in her own manner which honestly when looking upon it that's the best that i think anybody could ever hope for and she did it on her own terms and uh one amazing experience i had back a few years ago was i actually visited joan's apartments in new york went into the uh people who live in one of the apartments invited me to come see it they wanted me to tell them all about when joan lived in their home which i did and she had a uh another apartment that she moved to in the same building a few years later. And they went to the neighbor. They knew their neighbor and, and, you know, talked with her. And she said, she wanted me to come to her apartment, which had, this was the same lady. Her husband is who bought the apartment from Jones estate. And, uh, it's I have been the only fan of John Crawford. That's actually been in her final apartment. Um, and in the room where she died, which was very surreal to go into because a lot of the apartment has remained unchanged since Joan lived there. They haven't done any massive amount of uh, uh, reconstruction of it.
0: Brian, you're obviously you're an encyclopedia when it comes to Joan Crawford. Do you feel like you know her?
1: I don't feel like I know her, and I can tell you a lot of people have asked me that question. Um, I learned something new about her, nearly every day and my opinion of her changes. I keep very much an open mind as to who she was. I don't have a set mind and a set agenda of who I believe Joan Crawford was because I continuously find things that change my opinion and alter my opinion of certain actions that she did. You know, I don't know if anyone truly knew knew her. I don't know if she, you know, really ever got deep enough with people to the extent that they
0: really fully knew
1: her. I think they, they always expected her to be herself. That's the best way I would describe that. Mm.
0: Yeah. Very, very guarded. If you did have a chance to meet her, what would you have asked her? What, what would you have wanted to talk to her about?
1: Um, I would probably ask her now, if it was a question, let's say at the end, toward the end of her life, um, mm-hmm. I would probably want to ask her, you have achieved what you've achieved in your life now, in both entertainment and in business. What do you want to achieve now in your life? Because I'm very curious what her her answer to that would would have been, let's say, around 1973, 74. And I think that may have been one reason why she took a little bit of a drawback from uh, the public. I think she needed time to try to figure that out for herself. But Unfortunately, she became ill before she could, could find it. But I think she would have found it if she
0: had lived, let's say, another 10 years. might have revolved around religion and spirituality, possibly.
1: Yes. And and Joan was actually quite a religious person. Um, she didn't talk about that a lot in, in public. She always said, don't talk about politics and religion, which is a good – that's a good philosophy with celebrities. Um, you get in trouble that way. But uh, she was actually a very religious lady. She – she did have faith, and um, but a lot of people don't know that because she didn't talk about it as much.
0: Brian, I've loved talking to you. Very, like I've got a list here as long as my arm of other things that I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> Maybe we can catch up some other time, but we're out of time for this one. Thank you so much for all of your time, and thank you for your passion. And keeping Joan Crawford's memory and spirit alive, you do an amazing job. You are way more than just a fan.
1: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you taking the time to do an episode on.
0: Good on you, Brian. Have a good night.